too often in HR, we're making decisions about people practices based on tradition, one person's intuition, or what's trendy. So much of that is not going to work. Evidence-based HR is something that will, and that's what we're talking about today. And here we are on the HR Hub podcast with me, Andrea Adams. Keep listening to learn about this topic and anything related to HR. You can also find me on YouTube. Today, my guest is Dr. Salvatore Faletta. He teaches at Drexel University and has just finished writing a book called Creepy Analytics. It's about evidence and ethical analytics in HR. Did I get that right? Evidence-based and ethical HR. Ethical analytics. And it is just ready to publish. It's going to get published at the end of February. He's also worked practically as a CHRO and a consultant. Hi, Saul. How's it going? Doing well. Thank you, Andrea, for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. I've been, as you know, pestering you for some time about this because I've been really excited about this one uh, because the trends in HR do come fast and furious. And uh, I think you're going to have some perspective on that. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. What do you mean by evidence-based HR? Yeah, evidence-based HR means a lot of different things to a lot of people. Sometimes people conflate it with data-driven HR, but it's more than much more than that. But evidence-based HR involves the integration of scientific evidence, practitioner experience, organizational data, and stakeholder perspectives to guide and improve workforce decision-making. It entails making critical workforce decisions based in part of scientific evidence rather than relying solely on individual intuition, experience, and personal preferences. And this approach, in my view, enriches the decision-making process and enriches the decision-making acumen of senior leaders, including CEOs and the CHROs, within the workplace by incorporating insights from multiple information sources. Now, there's a lot of definitions out there, but... Evidence-based HR is essentially about making decisions through the conscientious, explicit, and judicious use of the best available evidence from multiple sources. Yeah, so many questions. What sources of information constitute evidence? This is HR after all. We're doing fluffy things around people. Like, what is evidence? Yeah, and that's, that's a great question. The, one of the important principles of evidence-based HR is that you use multiple sources of evidence, multiple forms of evidence, right? And there are four primary sources of evidence. There's the scientific literature, which is data and research insights generated from qualitative and yeah, quantitative yeah. research studies, right? We all know those. And those come in from think tanks, uh, from universities, and well-regarded consulting firms. Mm-hmm. Then there's... Practitioner expertise, that's all the knowledge and experience we have as seasoned HR professionals, right? Including CHROs, mm-hmm. Center of Excellence Leaders and Professionals, HR business partners, as well as external management consultants. Yeah. Then there's internal organization data. That's what we think of when we say data-driven HR. It's usually derived through people analytics or HR analytical capabilities, But this includes numerical facts, HR metrics, and other insights extracted from your HR analytics activities. And then lastly, there's stakeholder perspectives. And this is the the views and concerns that various stakeholders have, including the C-suite or CHROs, 
the workforce and other stakeholders uh, within and, and outside of the workplace. So, so many of those sources of data, uh, you know, you talked about um, organizational experts, your your HR practitioners and their expert information, stakeholders. That sounds a lot like what I said this wasn't, which is, uh, a, you know, an individual's intuition. How do you take that and make yeah. that evident? Yeah, so the important thing to remember one of the misconceptions about evidence-based HR or evidence-based management is that it's only about the scientific literature, right? Okay. Empirical studies. But actually, no, you should go after and look at research insights from credible think tanks, look at qualitative and quantitative data. But in addition to scientific literature, right, the stakeholder perspectives, they do matter. We shouldn't, yeah. as leaders, abandon our well-seasoned expertise However, we should recognize usually that includes your biases and gut and intuition, and you can't solely rely on that. You could use that as a starting point, and obviously the concerns and values and perspectives of the C-suite matter. They are ultimately the, the key decision makers when it comes to critical workforce decisions. But we should look at a myriad of data sources. Look at your internal HR metrics and people analytics insights, get stakeholders views and perspectives. You have to do that. That's the reality of the world we work in. Get practitioner expertise for those that have real expertise, deep um, expertise in the social, behavioral, and organizational sciences, but also do a review of the extant literature. Go out there and look at research insights and findings through you know at academic institutions, but also at credible think tanks. It's yeah. a combination of all four, and it's tr you're trying to get the best available evidence. Do you, can you give an example of an application of how how evidence based R would inform a decision? Yeah. So you're, if you remember, uh, uh, several years ago, uh, everybody was trying uh, considering abandoning a performance appraisals and and ratings yeah. and rankings. <laughs> it's anyway, a classic example that was yes. relatively recent. You, you remember there was an article, I'm not going to mention the thought leader that wrote the article, but he he put this article out there about getting rid of performance appraisals and ratings and rankings. And it created a whole, like, you know, this perfect storm where seniors, uh, senior leaders and, and practitioners were saying, yeah, we should get rid of them. Employees don't like them. And they're a waste of time. We have to go through this laborious process every year. Uh, why don't we just get rid of them and maybe do ongoing feedback and coaching, et cetera, et cetera. However, um, if the evidence-based, um, thoughtful evidence-based practitioners out there said, wait a minute, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. All right, let's get stakeholder perspectives on it because there's a lot of buzz out there about abolishing performance appraisals. But let's take a step back and look at our internal data in terms of uh, the effectiveness and efficiency of performance appraisal system in the organization. Let's see what our experts internally think. Let's talk to thought leaders outside of our organization. Let's look at the existing literature, the scientific literature, because what we've learned over the years since that article came out, um, you know, lamenting about performance appraisals, what we learned is that Performance appraisals and reviews, yeah, there, there's some improvements to be made, but there's a lot of scientific evidence that suggests and contends that they are very effective. They just need a little tweaking, right? So we shouldn't 
just jump the gun and throw the baby out with you know with the bathwater when we see these fads and trends and these articles popping up by some guru. And that's typically what happens. We 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 see it as a potential quick fix for an organizational problem or a, a practice that we don't particularly like. Um, so that's a classic example, the performance review and rating and ranking system. Everybody jumped on the bandwagon and then they realized, yeah, they realized, uh oh, we went too far. We we can't we can't abolish performance reviews and rating systems altogether um, without some sort of viable evidence based alternative. And nobody really thought of the alternative, and and that was the problem. So now we're kind of we're doing them, and but improvements could be made. You know, we we know that, and that's the whole. That's the idea of evidence-based HR is using the best available evidence and making improvements along the way to our practices to ensure that we're going to get the real business value that we expect. So you've obviously you've just written a book about it. Why do you think HR need evidence-based HR? There's a multitude of reasons. Um, You know, when you think about it, organizations we spend a lot of money, millions of dollars on data-driven HR and people analytics initiatives, right? So in many ways, um, many organizations, particularly the large Fortune 100 or global 500 level firms are doing a pretty good job harnessing the power of data to pinpoint critical business challenges and growth opportunities. However, despite all these investments, you know, organizations, we you know, we typically struggle with when it comes to adopting evidence-based HR programs, practices, solutions. So what happens typically is our senior leaders, decision makers, as well as HR practitioners, we usually succumb to HR fads, trends, and dangerous half-truths that are out there. And these are trends and fads that are promoted by LinkedIn influencers, industry analysts, gurus, best-selling authors whom they perceive as authoritative sources of information. But a lot of the stuff out there is not always evidence-based. Sometimes it's, you know, total nonsense, quite frankly. And so we have to be careful, right, um, and use an evidence-based approach to ensure that our critical workforce decisions are based on facts rather than outdated insights, fads, or trends. So I spent my career you know, advocating for data-driven and evidence-based approach. And we need to keep in mind that just because you're data-driven doesn't mean you're always evidence-based when it comes to adopting or selecting HR programs and practices. So I'll make a little bit of a political joke here. You could come up with, you could develop people analytics or HR analytics capabilities that can accurately identify what the underlying business problems are but if you then prescribe a non-evidence-based solution, right? What, what, how, how can you ensure effectiveness? So, a politic, this political example I want to share is: you could come up with a a foolproof way to identify the COVID virus, but then you prescribe bleach to as the vaccine. Right? So, oh yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's tantamount to that. So you could have a, a super accurate people analytics uh, function that can identify and pinpoint the problems, diagnose the problems accurately, yeah. Yeah. but then you prescribe a solution that's nonsense, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And it's not going to work. It's the same thing. You have a, you have a 
something that could detect the virus, but then you prescribe bleach or something ridiculous, apple yeah. cider vinegar, yeah. yes. as the solution or as the prescription to ameliorate or combat the virus. That's kind of silly, right? But we do that in HR more than we want to admit. Yeah. We do organizational needs analysis, our analysis paralysis, HR analytics insights, and we have all the data, but then we usually cherry pick the data to fit some preconceived notion of what the solution should be rather than really doing the due diligence around picking a science-based HR program and, or, or practice. Okay, so, that, leads, that make sense? Yeah, it does. That leads perfectly yeah. into the question. So how do you feasibly, without a um, you know, million years, yeah. do um, evidence-based HR? How do you reasonably do it? That is a key question. You can't spend an inordinate amount of time, you know, going through all the scientific literature. Yeah. You know, first of all, it's really hard for practitioners to interpret academic scholarship. Yeah. Um, so it's not always easy. But what what you what evidence-based HR or evidence-based management calls for is to use a systematic process. So there's six fundamental steps that HR, uh, evidence-based HR proponents will um, talk about. They'll, they'll say you need to ask the right questions, that is, translate a practical issue or problem into some sort of answerable question. Then you have to acquire, that, that is, you systematically search for and retrieve the evidence, right, from multiple sources. You have right. to appraise that evidence but you have to do it in a timely way. You can't painstakingly go through, again, every study there is that may or may not be relevant. But you have to then do, do that quickly, appraise and critically judge the trustworthiness of the and the relevance of the evidence. Again, multiple sources. Aggregate it, that is, weigh, weigh it and pull it together. Apply it, that is, incorporate it in the decision-making process. And then, and then ultimately, you assess it. You evaluate the outcome of the decision taken, um, the goal here is to increase the likelihood that you're going to get a favorable outcome, real behavioral change or real organizational effectiveness. Now, the, the thing to keep in mind is the key here, element here is the fifth step, applying it. So what happens is we'll go out and we'll do a lot of analysis paralysis. We'll look at our people analytics insights. We may even go out and look at the scientific literature but then on the back end, when senior stakeholders get involved, like particularly those in the C-suite, they'll yeah. cherry pick the data and insights to support some preconceived intuitive idea that they had, yeah. and they'll run with it. And that's yeah. called cherry picking. And cherry picking is a no-no when it comes to people analytics and evidence-based HR. How do you stop those CHROs and you know C-suite people from cherry picking the one that you know their intuition tells them is going to work? That's one of the key challenges with um, evidence-based HR. If you think about it, you know, you, you got to remember senior executives, those in the CD suite, and even chief HR officers, often these individuals don't have HR backgrounds. You know, it's real fashionable now for the chief HR officer to be an attorney or maybe have a CFO background or they came out of the business somewhere. Maybe they did supply chain or they were a business unit leader. So, and it's usually one level down or even a level below the centers of excellence or expertise that have the real HR expertise. They're the HR professionals, the industrial organizational psychologists. So 
to your point, the senior executives usually have the final say when it comes to critical workforce decisions, particularly if it involves a multi-million dollar investment in some sort of HR program or practice. So the thing is, they call this executive prerogative, right? So if you're in a C-suite, you want the wiggle room to, at the end of the day to be able to call the shots. And then too often, our executives are inundated by all kinds of popular fads and trends. They may read a New York Times bestselling book, and then they tell the, the head of HR, I want you to implement this leadership development program that I read in this New York Times bestselling book that has zero shred of evidence in terms of science behind it. But what do you, how do you say no to the CEO? Well, you, you can't. All you could do, the best you could do was inform the CEO of, of the evidence. Or, you know, it, it'll often I hear practitioners tell me that they implement it anyway. And then when they evaluate it and, and, and they show, hey, there's no, no real quality and effectiveness to the intervention, and the CEO asked why, you can say, well, that's when you can go back and say there really isn't a whole lot of evidence behind the effectiveness or efficacy of the practice. Now, that that's a slippery slope politically, yeah. but I think it's incumbent on, uh, it's an educative process where we have to educate the C-suite and the chief yeah. HR yeah. officers to what evidence-based HR is and isn't yeah. and how to avoid those kind of pitfalls. Again, we don't want them to abandon their well-seasoned expertise and experience, but you shouldn't implement a practice just because another organization does it, a so-called best practice. You know, when I was at Intel, we had this ranking and rating system, a performance appraisal. I said, well, why do we do that? Well, Andy Grill, our uh, founder, one of our founders and former CEO, he saw it from Jack Welch from GE. And Sun Microsystems, Scott McNeely implemented it for the same reason, because Jack Welch did it at GE. Well, what works at GE may not work in your company, mm -hmm. right? But we do that. That's called um, casual benchmarking, where we benchmark best practices at other organizations, and then we run off and adopt it. That's almost as bad as adopting a fad or a trend. It's hard. It's really hard. I like yeah. the idea, though, that it's a process of educating the CEOs and I'm um, working with it and um, and kind of growing the idea over time. But you're right. It, it is an educated process and it's a cultural process too. Yes. You have to you have to establish a data driven culture first. I think the the one area that can do this best is HR analytics or people analytics. Now, mm -hmm. some pro proponents of evidence based HR, like Rob Breener, he's a, he's an amazing thought leader, a professor in the UK that is really one of the, he really introduced evidence-based HR to um, the management community, um, probably in 2000, about 25 years ago. He makes the claim that, well, people analytics or HR analytics is not the same as evidence-based HR. It's only one part of it because it focuses on internal organization data, only one of the sources I mentioned. Right. However, I think people analytics, particularly in the Fortune 100, the big companies, they are leveraging multiple sources of data. So in other words, people analytics has a broader role. That in other words, they are looking at the scientific literature. They're doing active research and experimentation. They're looking and mining and modeling their internal data. They are getting stakeholders' opinions, values, and perspectives, you know, and they're building that into their workforce strategies, their talent management strategies. 
So Breener's right. Technically, it does tend to focus on internal organizational data. But if you look at the best practice companies in the world, mm -hmm. they're doing all four. People analytics, in my view, is 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 a catalyst for evidence-based HR. So I think there's a much needed convergence between people analytics or HR analytics and evidence-based HR in order to maximize the value, right, uh, and ensure that we have not only a data-driven culture, but an evidence-based HR culture that leverages multiple sources of evidence rather than running around uh, succumbing to HR fads and trends. Amazing. Okay. If someone wants to to start slowly, start a little bit, you know, they're maybe in HRBP and they want to start practicing a little bit of evidence-based HR, what do you suggest? First of all, there's lots of educational resources out there. They should, should at the very first, uh, go to the Center for uh, Evidence-Based Management. Um, that, uh, that includes the work of Rob Breener, Eric Barrens, and many other top-notch uh, thought leaders and scholars out there. Um, they should. Uh, there's books out there. For example, Eric Barrens and Denise Rousseau have evidence-based management book, How to Use Evidence to Make Better Organizational Decisions. There's all kinds of think tanks out there, like the Corporate Research Forum in the UK, and also CIPD, which is like SHRM in the UK. And I mention them in particular because, sadly, I think the UK is a little further ahead of the U US. Yeah. I'm not too sure about Canada, but they're further along um, as a professional association in terms of advocating for evidence-based HR. And I think that's Rob Breener's influence, the professor I mentioned. Yeah. He's, um, he's worked closely with CIP, uh, CIPD, which again, is like Sherman, the U.S. or the U.K. and in other parts of Europe. And he, he's really pushed that heavily there, and they have a whole site on it. Uh, and then the Conference Board is another excellent resource, too, in the U.S. It's the New York-based think tank for human capital uh, management. So th that's the first thing, is to get educated. They should start small and then scale over time. Start small, build your people analytics capabilities to become more uh, data-driven, right? But also uh, think more broadly. Go uh, above and beyond that. Look at the scientific literature. Get the ex expertise from thought leaders outside and inside of the organization. But then it's also important to know when we buy a solution or a practice or a tool or a platform from a vendor or a consulting firm, we should ask questions, ask critical questions saying, what, what science do you have behind, that backs up your claims that you're making mm -hmm. for your AI-powered technology tool? Or... Uh, what, what's the science and the research behind this leadership development um, program that you're advocating for? We, we, we usually don't do a good job around the due diligence when assessing vendors. We'll just, we'll just pick a vendor that everybody else is using, you know, because... It must be good. Somebody it must be good. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, so we, we need to ask critical questions. I think that's the starting point. Hmm. I need to ask more critical questions. What's the science and on all these interviews I do? Okay, you know what the one thing you did not mention is your book as a source of information. <laughs> uh, well, my, my book is definitely a little more around uh, HR or people analytics. However, it takes an evidence-based approach. So in one of the chapters, 
I go over the notion of evidence-based HR and how people analytics has to have an integral part, be an integral part and a catalyst for evidence-based mm-hmm. HR. Uh, the book's called Creepy Analytics, uh, Avoid Crossing the Line and Establish uh, Ethical HR Analytics for Smarter Workforce Decisions. And it gives people a framework uh, for um, doing HR or people analytics in the context of evidence-based HR right? But doing it in an ethical, responsible way. Right. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more about the ethical um, aspect in another episode. Uh, The one other thing, when does it come out? Oh, the book will be released on February 27th, uh, 2024, this year. Um, So it's already out on Amazon and Barnes and Noble if anybody's interested in pre-ordering. Okay, perfect. All right. Uh, Well, thanks, Sal. I'm going to think about the multiple sources And it's just, again, evidence that planning and preparing for implementation of a project or an initiative is just so important. However, we have reached the end of this episode. Thanks for listening out there. We'll catch you next time when I talk with another insightful guest.